is a place where they'll pay you a thousand dollars for a kiss and fifty cents for your soul. about celebrity deaths and the strange events in Tinseltown and beyond. We are your hosts, Megan Carpenter and Liz Shire. Here are today's headlines. Mystery still surrounds the death of River Phoenix. Is the mysterious death of River Phoenix. Now, an autopsy later today will determine the exact cause of death of one of Hollywood's rising stars, River Phoenix. No one is saying exactly what caused the young actor to go into seizures at a nightclub and then die outside on the Sunset Strip. Today's New York Daily News quotes a paramedic who said that the actor collapsed with all of the signs of a cocaine reaction. I just think it's really sad that such a young, tremendous actor has to go away in such a way. This is The River's End, where things get Hollyweird. This is the story of the death of River Phoenix. October 30th, 1993, West Hollywood, California. Actor River Phoenix was spending the evening at the Viper Room, a Hollywood nightclub that was, at one time, partly owned by actor Johnny Depp. I believe you mean entrepreneur scissorhands? I do. Phoenix, who was also a musician, was there that evening preparing to perform with friend Flea, aka the one who never wears a shirt in the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Phoenix had freshly returned to Los Angeles from Utah only a few days prior. He was there working on filming for his last project, Dark Blood. Two of his siblings, Rain and Joaquin, as well as his girlfriend, actress Samantha Mathis, were also at the club that night. However, the happy occasion would suddenly turn to tragedy, as the stroke of midnight found Phoenix outside on the sidewalk, where he lay convulsing for over five minutes. In the early morning hours of October 31st, Phoenix was suffering from an overdose. When his brother Joaquin called 911, he was unable to determine whether Phoenix was breathing. His sister Rain proceeded to give him mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. While this was happening outside, Johnny Depp and his band P were on stage. Wait, what does P stand for? I don't know. I tried Googling it. I spent way too much time Googling it. David Letterman once asked Johnny what the P stood for. He replied, a letter of the alphabet. I wish the listeners could see our faces for this exchange. Apparently, the band was in the middle of their song, Michael Stipe, while Phoenix was outside the venue, seizing on the sidewalk. When the news filtered through the club, Flea left the stage and rushed outside. By that time, paramedics had arrived on the scene and found Phoenix turning dark blue in full cardiac arrest and in a flatline state. So are you guys wondering where the Narcan was? 
let me tell you, not in the hands of the EMTs because that wasn't really a thing until about 1996. So uh, this overdose came three years too early for Narcan. They administered medication in an attempt to restart his heart. He was rushed to the Cedars Sinai Medical Center, accompanied by Flea. Are are you intentionally saying Flea as many times as possible? Apparent Flea. Via an ambulance. Further attempts to resuscitate Phoenix were unsuccessful. He was pronounced dead at 1.51 a.m. on the morning of October 31st, 1993, at the age of 23. The following day, the Viper Room became a makeshift shrine with fans and mourners leaving flowers, pictures, and candles on the sidewalk and graffiti messages on the walls of the venue. A sign was placed in the window that read, with much respect and love to River and his family, the Viper Room is temporarily closed. Our heartfelt condolences to all his family, friends, and loved ones. He will be missed. The club remained closed for a week. With much respect to River and his family, the Viper Room will be temporarily closed. Thank you. Depp continued to close the club every year on October 31st until selling his share in 2004. Before his passing, River Phoenix had a squeaky clean image. This was partly due to his public dedication to various social, political, humanitarian, and dietary interests, which were not necessarily the norm. As a result, his death elicited a vast amount of coverage from the media. Phoenix was described by one writer as, quote, the vegan James Dean, and other comparisons were made regarding the youth and sudden deaths of both actors. Whoa, throwback to Hollyweird episode one! An autopsy was performed two weeks later. The results showed the cause of death to be, quote, acute multiple drug intoxication. The report added that there were high concentrations of morphine and cocaine in the blood, as well as other substances in smaller concentrations. Brother Joaquin's call to 911 was recorded and broadcast by several TV and radio shows. You must get over here, please. You must get over here, please. Okay, take it easy, okay? Okay, now I think he's at volume or something. I don't know. You must get over here, please. Yeah, slow down, okay? okay? Well, where is the guy? Okay, we have help on the way, all I right? Know. Who's with him right now? My sister and some people. Your sister? Okay, how old is your sister? She's 19, she's 20. Okay, can you talk to her from where you are? I kind of, she's trying to give a mouth to mouth. Please get over here, please! I think that the 911 dispatcher was extremely condescending. So, I've never been a 911 dispatcher, and neither have you. If any of you listening are 911 dispatchers, we'd love to know if you're instructed to have a, a tone or demeanor like that. Like, I feel like you probably, no, you most definitely have to be the one in control of the situation. Mm-hmm. So I feel like he was trying to maintain that control. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, Joaquin's obviously 
I mean, he's about to see his older brother, whom he idolizes, die on the sidewalk. Right. Like, how do you expect him to act? I think that while they do have a difficult job, it's kind of the same way I feel about um, doctors. Like, I know that what you have to do is hard. You have to be in control. You have to uh, maintain your emotions but and be calm. But you can still be empathetic. Like, someone... Uh, I think the majority of the time when people call 911, they're going through one of the worst experiences of their life. Yeah. And you to to say, like, oh, calm down. It's going to be fine. Right. Like, that's so – I mean, I'm coming from it from, like, a therapist's point of view. But I think that he could have been a little more empathetic. Do you watch the show 911 on Fox? No. So Connie Britton is the 911 operator? Oh, my gosh, yes. If I ever have to call 911, <laughs> like – I want Coach's wife to answer the phone. <laughs> oh, my God. Right? If only, like, every time you called, it would be just be Connie it's Tammy Taylor. <laughs> oh, my God. Following his death, media actively violated the family's privacy including breaking into the Miami funeral home and taking a picture of Phoenix's body in the casket. Please, whatever you do, do not Google that like we did. But yeah. since we did, let's tell you all about it. <laughs> it's very disturbing. It doesn't look like him at all. Now, so if the embalmer is good, right, you're supposed to look like you're sleeping. Right. He looks 45. Well, okay, so he looks like he's strung out. Yeah, which is not the goal. <laughs> not, and also yeah. how so distasteful that the National... Well, it's the National Enquirer. Yeah. But so distasteful that they would publish those yeah. photos. Even though they blurred out his face. Ugh. God. And that now it's online for everyone. Right. Like, that's to look at. That's even in a pre-internet age. Yeah. That true. that happened. True. I hope if I ever have an open casket, someone just does my makeup, like, beats my face. Yeah. I'm going to sell your photo to the National Enquirer. I would actually love that. <laughs> I'd feel so flattered. The picture was sold to the National Enquirer. Joaquin was so upset that he walked away from Hollywood for a second time. Not to discredit that, but he does leave Hollywood pretty much every other day. On November 24, 1993, Arlen Hart Phoenix published an open letter in the Los Angeles Times on her son's life and death. It read, in part, His friends, co-workers, and the rest of our family know that River was not a regular drug user. He lived at home in Florida with us and was almost never a part of the quote-unquote club scene in Los Angeles. He had just arrived in L.A. from the pristine beauty and quietness of Utah, where he was filming for six weeks. We feel that the excitement and energy of the Halloween nightclub and party scene were way beyond his usual experience and control. How many other beautiful young souls who remain anonymous to us have died by using drugs recreationally? It is my prayer that River's leaving in this way will focus the attention of the world on how painfully the spirits of his generation are being worn down. Liz, do you buy it? Unfortunately, no. No. I mean, it's beautiful what she said. And when you think of the early mid-90s youth culture, mm -hmm. sure, 
But she sounds like a mom in denial. Right. And also the way that uh, their family lived and the way that the kids were raised, I think it was kind of this idyllic uh, way of looking at life oh, yeah. that that I'm not surprised that that is her response. And I'm not surprised at all that it kind of seems like she was in denial. Yeah. I don't think that he was um, a total addict that he couldn't continue with any of his responsibilities in life or he was still working, but I think that he had a lot of recreational drug use. Agreed. Sorry. (laughs) On the 20th anniversary of Phoenix's death, musician Bob Forrest spoke out by saying that while Phoenix maintained an image of a hippie vegan pacifist, the reality of his drug use was much darker than anyone knew. Forrest said that Phoenix had been staying with musician John Frusciante for a few days prior to his death. The duo would go on long drug binges, barely sleeping. They would smoke crack and inject heroin and cocaine together. On the night of his death, both Phoenix and Frusciante arrived at the Viper Room together, where they met up with Mathis and the Phoenix siblings. Forrest claims that cocaine was instantly passed around amongst the group. However, he noticed that Phoenix was already not looking well. During the performance by Depp's band, Phoenix informed Forrest that he wasn't feeling well, and he thought he was overdosing. Forrest said that Phoenix rallied and re-entered the crowd. And we know how that ended. River Phoenix was cremated, and his ashes were scattered at his family ranch in McCanopy, Florida. We talked the tragedy, but how did River make it there? Time to rewind. River Phoenix was born on August 23, 1970, in Madras, Oregon. He was the first child of Arlen Dunitz and John Lee Bottom. Can we note how odd it is to think of him as the oldest, especially in comparison to present-day, or any-day, Joaquin Phoenix? River's parents named him after the River of Life from the novel Siddhartha. He received his middle name Jude from the Beatles' song Hey Jude. Phoenix described his parents as, quote, hippie-ish, but they came from very different backgrounds. His mother was born in the Bronx, New York, to Jewish parents whose families had emigrated from Russia and Hungary. His father was a lapsed Catholic from Fontana, California, of English, German, and French ancestry. In 1968, Phoenix's mother left her family in New York City and traveled across the United States. While hitchhiking in Northern California, she met John. They married on September 13, 1969, less than a year after meeting. Phoenix's family moved cross-country when he was very young. He was raised in McCannaby, Florida, a small suburb of Gainesville, where they lived in poverty. Phoenix often played guitar while he and his sister sang on street corners for money and food to support their ever-growing family. Phoenix never attended formal school. Screenwriter Naomi Foner later commented, quote, He was totally, totally without education. I mean, he could read and write, and he had an appetite for it, but he had no deep roots into any sense of history or literature. 
However, some people have stated that Phoenix was dyslexic, so... So, who the hell knows? In 1973, the family joined a controversial Christian new religious movement called the Children of God as missionaries. Time for a massive sidebar. The Children of God is basically a cult. Today, they call themselves, quote, the Family International. The initial work of the Children of God was to spread a message of salvation. Okay, dig it. Apocalypticism. I I know bad. Spiritual, quote unquote, revolution and happiness. Okay. And distrust of the outside world, which the members called the system. Holy shit. In 1976, three years after the Phoenix family joined, it began a method of evangelism called flirty fishing that used sex to, quote-unquote, show God's love and mercy and win converts, resulting in controversy. And Jesus babies, you know, because protection was discouraged. Founder and prophetic leader David Berg referred to himself as king. Members founded communities in various cities. They would try to recruit and convert people in the streets and distribute pamphlets. By 1972, the Children of God had 130 communities around the world. The Children of God was abolished in February of 1978. Berg reorganized the movement under the name Family of Love amid reports of serious misconduct, financial mismanagement, abuse of authority, and disagreements within the group about the continued use of flirty fishing. One-eighth of the total membership left the movement. Actress Rose McGowan was raised with the Children of God. Her father actually ran a commune in Italy, and she was a part of that until age nine when her parents left the group for fear that Rose could be molested. The Phoenix family were members of the group from 1972 till 1978. What a sidebar. While with the group, the Phoenix family had settled in Caracas, Venezuela, where the Children of God had stationed them to work as missionaries and fruit gatherers. Although Phoenix rarely talked about the cult, he was once quoted as saying, They're disgusting. They're ruining people's lives. Arlen and John eventually grew disillusioned with the Children of God. And in the late 70s, Rivers family moved in with Arlen's parents in Florida. The family officially changed their name to Phoenix after the mythical bird that rises from its own ashes, symbolizing a new beginning. Back in the United States, talent agent Iris Burton spotted River, Joaquin, and their sisters Summer and Rain singing for Spare Change in Westwood, LA. She soon began representing all four siblings. River started doing commercials for Mitsubishi, Ocean Spray, and Saks Fifth Avenue, and soon afterward, he and the other children were signed by casting director Penny Marshall from Paramount Pictures. In 1980, Phoenix began to fully pursue his work as an actor, making his first appearance on a TV show called Fantasy, singing with his sister Rain. In 1982, River was cast in the short-lived CBS television series Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, in which he starred as the youngest brother. River arrived at the auditions with his guitar and promptly burst into a convincing Elvis Presley impersonation, charming the show producer. By this age, Phoenix was also an accomplished tap dancer. 
In October 1984, he was cast in the role of geeky boy scientist Wolfgang Mueller in Explorers alongside Ethan Hawke, and production began soon after. Released in the summer of 85, this was his first major motion picture role. At 15, he had a significant role in Rob Reiner's popular coming-of-age film Stand By Me, which made him a household name. He received wonderful reviews in the role. He then completed The Mosquito Coast, playing the son of Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren's characters. Dream parent casting. Director Peter Weir said of Phoenix, quote, he was obviously going to be a movie star. It's something apart from the acting ability. During the five-month shoot in Belize, Phoenix began a romance with his co-star Martha Plimpton, a relationship which continued in some form for many years. During this time, the Phoenix family continued to move on a regular basis, moving over 40 times by the time Phoenix was 18. After completing his sixth feature film, Running on Empty, he purchased his family a ranch in McCanopy, Florida near Gainesville. That was in 87, uh, in addition to a spread in Costa Rica. Nice. In early 1989, Phoenix was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for his role in Running on Empty. Phoenix jumped to his feet during the ceremony when Kevin Kline beat him for the Oscar. Quote, I had to try and stop River from running to hug Kevin, recalled his mother Arlen. It never crossed his mind that he hadn't won. That's fucking weird. That's what, that's what I mean, just like, so naive and like, oh, I'm... You know what I mean? Yeah, for like, real. No sense of like ambition or just like, oh, the world is such a great yeah. place. I'm here to like make my art and like I'm so happy Kevin, Cl you know what I mean? Yeah, weird. I wouldn't feel that way. <laughs> that year, he also portrayed a young Indiana Jones in the box office hit Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. In 91, he filmed an acclaimed independent picture called Dogfight. In the film, Phoenix portrayed a young U.S. Marine on the night before he was shipped off to Vietnam in November 1963. Co-star Lily Taylor remarked that Phoenix suffered because he could not distance himself from his character. Quote, He also hadn't gotten into any drugs. He was just drinking then too. It was different. That was actually a hard part for him because it was so radically different from who he was. He was such a hippie, and here he was playing this Marine. It actually caused him a lot of discomfort. I don't think he enjoyed that actually getting into that psyche. Up next, my own private Idaho. Phoenix met actor Keanu Reeves while Reeves was filming Parenthood with Phoenix's brother Joaquin. The two starred together for the first time in 1990's I Love You to Death and again in Gus Van Sant's avant-garde film My Own Private Idaho. Critic David Anson praised Phoenix's performance, saying the campfire scene in which Mike awkwardly declares his unrequited love for Scott is a marvel of delicacy. In this and every scene, Phoenix immerses himself so deeply inside his character you almost forget you've seen him before. It's a stunningly sensitive performance, poignant and comic at once. For his role in My Own Private Idaho, Phoenix won Best Actor Honors at the Venice Film Festival, the National Society of Film Critics, and the Independent Spirit Awards. The film and its success solidified Phoenix's image as an actor with edgy leading man potential. Around this time, Phoenix was beginning to make use of drugs like marijuana, cocaine, and heroin with some friends. In the book, Gus Van Sant wrote about Phoenix, Pink, 
The director said clearly that Phoenix was not a regular drug user, but only occasionally, and that the actor had a more serious problem with alcohol. Phoenix had always tried to hide his addictions because he feared that they might ruin his career, as they did his relationship with Martha Plimpton. Phoenix starred in a handful of films until appearing in 1993's The Thing Called Love, the last completed picture before his death. Phoenix began a relationship with co-star Samantha Mathis on the set. Although Phoenix's movie career was generating most of the income for his family, it's been stated by close friends and relatives that his true passion was music. He was a singer, songwriter, and accomplished guitarist. Prior to securing an acting agent, Phoenix and his siblings tried to forge a career in music by playing cover versions on the streets of LA, often being moved along by police because gathering crowds would obstruct the pavement. With the fruits of his first film success, Phoenix saved $650 for his prized possession, a guitar on which he wrote what he described as, quote, progressive, ethereal folk rock. While working on A Night in the Life of Jimmy Reardon in 1986, Phoenix had written and recorded a song, Heart to Get, specifically for the end credits of the movie. 20th Century Fox cut it from the completed film, but director William Riker put it back into place for his director's cut some years later. It was during filming that Phoenix met Chris Blackwell of Island Records. This meeting would later secure Phoenix a two-year development deal with the label. Phoenix disliked the idea of being a solo artist and relished collaboration, therefore he focused on putting together a band. Aleka's Attic was formed in 1987 and the lineup included his sister Rain. In 1991, the Aleka's Attic track, Too Many Colors, was lent to the My Own Private Idaho soundtrack. In 96, their track, Note to a Friend, was released on the Benefit album In Defense of Animals, Volume 2, and featured Flea of Red Hot Chili Peppers on bass. Flea! He's back! Phoenix had collaborated with friend John Frusciante after his first departure from Red Hot Chili Peppers, and the songs Height Down and Well I've Been were released on Frusciante's second solo album, Smile from the Streets You Hold, in 97. It's time for Hollyweird Post-Mortem. Do we love River Phoenix because of the James Dean comparisons, or is it something else? Here's what we came up with. Liz, should we just copy and paste our James Dean discussion from episode one into this portion of the podcast? Sure, I think that they're, like, completely parallel. So, how so? Um, again, both very attractive. They both had kind of a boyish charm, not necessarily like a big rugged guy, but uh, yeah, definitely boyish. And they had, they both had an edginess to them. I think River Phoenix's was because of his alternative upbringing and that he was a vegan, which now is very popular, but in the early 90s was like a new thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and his like activism almost like a Johnny Depp in that aspect before Johnny took a left turn into weirdness. Um, and they, yeah, they both had an edginess. They both had like a liveliness about them and they were both really attractive. I think yeah. it's definitely. They both achieved uh, critical success prior to their deaths, both being nominated for Academy Awards. Right. They both died really young, 23 and 24, mm-hmm. if I'm remembering my fact checking correctly. I think you're right. Um, I also think they both had, despite being enormously popular Hollywood actors, they both kind of had a meh attitude about Hollywood. Mm -hmm. We know 
James Dean's true passion was car racing. Mm -hmm. We know River Phoenix's true passion was music. Mm -hmm. So I think their aloofness uh, about being a Hollywood actor uh, kind of just adds to the whole bad boy thing a little bit. Definitely. That's a good point. You also, you can compare him to a modern day actor. I think they would have been the same age if River Phoenix were still alive. Leonardo DiCaprio first of all they look so similar they the same in the 90s the same look like the same haircut like the same vibe for sure right so we love river phoenix because he was so beautiful not just a handsome man but you're right like like a pretty boy yes type of boy definitely in a way that uh young leah was young brad pitt was mm. actually so after river phoenix passed away he had some films film roles lined up that needed recasting um one of those in the film total eclipse leo got the other one a little film called interview with a vampire really yeah, mm-hmm. yeah so uh those would have been good yeah and uh christian slater was actually substituted in the role in interview with a vampire that he would have played the journalist role oh right. but imagine oh. imagine a film with Young River, right? Young Brad, and I'm Matt on Tom Cruise. But if you're into that, <laughs> what did you say? You like Tom Cruise? No, I'm meh. Like, mm. oh meh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, early. I actually preferred Tom Cruise before he got his teeth fixed. Oh, girl. It gave him more of an edge. <laughs> I mean, like a, a razor, a razor sharp uh, snaggle tooth edge. Sure. <laughs> In retrospect, the couch jumping just colors everything so much differently. Like, it's really hard to watch any of his older films and be like, oh, yeah, sure, you're a hot 90s heartthrob. Now it's like, oh, my God, in 20 years, you're going to do some crazy shit. Don't be so glib. Don't be so glib about his heartthrob status, Liz. You're being glib. I know. He really... (sighs) Sorry. Yeah. Um, He really tanked hard. That he did. Anyway, River. Um, So... Do you think that if River Phoenix um, were still alive today, he would have aged just as badly as Leonardo DiCaprio has? Or do you think he would have maintained some semblance of attractiveness? Okay, let's get one thing straight. If I ran into Leonardo DiCaprio today and he was like, girl, let's get to it, I would say, no thanks. No. (laughs) I would be all over that. You wouldn't? He looks like, this is going to sound really harsh, he looks like, a manager at a Chili's <laughs> who still tries to date the 19-year-old waitresses at 42. He has aged. Yeah, but when he's cleaned up, think like Revolutionary Road. Like, he's handsome in that. Although, I oh. guess that was probably like 10-ish years I don't know. Ago. Even Kate Winslet was like, you know, Leo and I are still friends even though, you know, he's a bit fatter and I'm a bit thinner. It's like, Yeah. <laughs> I just can't, the part that I think makes me angry is that he's, like, is, he still just dates, like, 19-year-old models, and he just, like, copies and pastes them. Like, we're in our 20s, and, like, what a rude awakening it was to realize you are too old for Leonardo DiCaprio. Right, that's, like, horrible. (laughs) It's not, I'm not bitter, I just think it's disgusting. Like, date somebody your own age. Whatever, I'd be into it. Oh, my God. Anyway. (laughs) I think another appeal of River, oh, no, wait. So, you asked me if River would have aged as well as Leo. Would River have as... Would River have aged as well as fucking Joaquin? Oh. Mm. I mean, those are straight genetics. 
Well, also, drugs really do a number on your skin. <laughs> they really do. So does drinking. Makes yeah. puffy, and then it goes down. <laughs> yeah, so it probably wouldn't have been good. But don't you think, he probably, it? I mean, it is truly a tragedy that he died, and I think if he had not died, he would have, I think, not continued to use drugs because he was an occasional user or just recreational. I think he would either, like, gotten sober, gotten a rehab, because he was so focused on his activism and, like, being a vegan, and, like, I think I think he would have... It's really a shame, because I think he would have surpassed it and continued it, and I think he probably would have aged better than his brother. Probably. And Joaquin would not, I don't think, have had the um, emotional weight of his brother's death to kind of, like, contribute to his aging. Yeah, that's true. He looks like he has quite the burden on his shoulders. Right. He's also... He's not that old. He's, like, in his 40s. Joaquin? Yeah. Yeah, but I mean... The boy haggard. <laughs> this is a lot of age shaming in this podcast, but you know, I no, think this that this isn't age shaming. It's aging badly shaming. Especially with all the resources that are available in Hollywood. I know. Go get a skin peel, bruh. <laughs> and again, what think it makes me angry is that women are judged so harshly for aging or for taking steps to prevent aging. Right. And then meanwhile. Joaquin Phoenix and Leonardo DiCaprio can just, you know, let it all hang out, <laughs> and everyone still wants to boff them. Uh, That's true. the part that I find frustrating. We're just turning the tables. Turning the tide. Uh, <laughs> so just to go back to uh, Phoenix's activism, he was a very dedicated vegan. He was very pro-animal rights. Um, he was an environmentalist, a political activist, much like Leonardo DiCaprio. His Instagram is just pictures of gorillas pictures of him standing on mountaintops with like nepalese people trying to talk about saving the mountains so wait is leonardo dicaprio what river phoenix would have been yes like that obnoxious and that like annoying yeah i guess i mean so when he's a 23 year old who's like save the environment like all the girls are like okay oh my god (laughs) yes i want to save it all (laughs) But does this mean I get to, like, wear a sports bra outside? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you want to hear a really creepy story? Yes. Okay, so as you stated, Phoenix was a vegan. One of his first girlfriends, Martha Plimpton, we talked about her. Right. She once told the story. They were 15, River, and she were at a fancy dinner in Manhattan, and she ordered soft-shell crabs. And then they left the restaurant, and they were walking around Park Avenue, he was like really despondent and then he started crying and then she was kind of like huh and he said i love you so much why he had such pain that she was eating an animal a crab that makes me roll my eyes so hard right now listen being vegan is a choice uh-huh if you have health issues if you truly like he truly could pick up what he was putting down like he backed up his veganism with activism i think there are some people that are faux vegans or still eat french mm-hmm. fries and oreos because mm-hmm. if you're truly truly doing it for health you wouldn't eat that stuff but this is a judgy vegan judgy podcast but <laughs> to like to put that on your partner yeah like at 15 at 15 partner i'm partner like at 15 and your puppy love at 15 to be like you first of all how emotionally manipulative to be like you're hurting me by what you eat like that is some next level shit (laughs) 
And on top of that, they're crabs. Like, listen, I know Kurt Cobain said it's okay to eat fish because they don't have any feelings. I know that eating fish is still considered eating meat. I only eat, I am a pescatarian myself. (laughs) But that's a lot. That's a lot. That's too much. Too much. Uh, But these relationships. Also, who doesn't want to dip some soft shell crab meat in some melted ass butter? (laughs) Also, they're like in Manhattan. Like, you're. (sighs) Plenty of celebrities are vegan at home and then they are vegetarian when they go out to eat. Like Natalie Borman. Okay. Natalie. She eats yogurt sometimes. Um, (laughs) So let's talk about his Hollywood relationships. So, okay, so his main two relationships that we know of were Martha Plimpton and Samantha Mathis. Uh Um, Martha Plimpton, uh, she went to the Academy Awards with him that year that he so Uh enthusiastically cheered on Kevin Kline. And in researching, like, who he dated and whatnot... Uh, I came across this article that was, like, the coolest couple to ever hit the Oscars red carpet. Basically, because they were, like, like late teens, and they could give two shits about being there, and had, like, better things to do. <laughs> I mean, so they were like, they're so cool. I mean, cooler than Angelina and her brother? I don't know about that. Oh <laughs> <laughs> but cool nonetheless. You know, Angelina and her brother are just open mouth kissing on the red carpet. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> really cool. So, uh, and then Samantha Mathis mm-hmm. co-starred with him in his last feature film. And so I guess they weren't dating too, they couldn't have been dating too long, mm-hmm. but she was there at the Viper Room on the sidewalk with him right. the night, right. the night he passed. Uh, and I forget which one of the ladies said this. I think it was Martha Plimpton, but like years later, asked about River because why the hell not? She said the hardest part is she has aged and she's like 40 now, but he's forever 23. Oh. To think of like your love. Yeah. It's like stuck in that, that yeah. period of time. Yeah. Kind of weird. That's really weird to think about. Yeah. Like that she still cares about him. Right. But then. But he's 23. Right. And then you never get to watch that other person grow and change. Yeah. That is sad. Yeah. That crab story is so dumb. I know. I got one more. Okay. You ready? Yes. And then finally, I think the biggest intrigue about River is just that his life was a giant juxtaposition. Uh, clean, hippie living. He was a vegan, but he had a drinking problem and did hard drugs. Uh-huh. It's kind of like, where, how did that happen? Where did that come from? So some people think that he had severe childhood trauma. I mean, mm. constantly being moved around, uh, being a part of a cult that, what the hell went on? They did sexually abuse the children in the cult. There's no confirmation that he was ever... Well, he said that he lost his virginity at age four. Yeah, gasp, right? Yeah. So I... then that sounds like... Yeah, so he, I mean, was probably... Sexually abused. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that, and then some people also said that he just didn't, like, give a shit about Hollywood and had become really kind of jaded by it all, that maybe he was trying to escape Hollywood and the pressures that came with Hollywood Mm -hmm. through drugs and alcohol. Yeah, and I think that he made the transition, like, he, again, the way that he was raised 
his parents tried to shape this kind of like idyllic lifestyle, but it was somewhat unstable, joining the cult, whatever happened there, I guess we'll never know. And then to be in show business as a child, to work with adults, to be exposed to lots of different things, it was probably a confusing time for him. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, he had cynic basically written across his forehead from whatever he grew up into the life he was living now. Right. But instead of a cynic, I mean, he really was just lost. That's what it seems like. That's pretty sad. Yeah. I wish that he had had time to figure out, you know. Yeah, that's true. I mean, what does anyone know at 23? My God. I... Not that far away from it, but it feels yeah. like eons Just away. Just Blink-182. No one likes you. <laughs> no one likes you when you're 23. <laughs> yeah, I think that's. I think it just sounded like he was a, a confused young person that, like, if he had more time, would have figured it out. Yeah. Did you ever see that last movie of his, The Thing Called Love? No. I mean, it actually had, like, Sandra Bullock was in it. Really? Like, yeah. Uh, I never saw it either. But it got pretty bad reviews, so probably just fell into films of 90s past right but um allegedly he had been drugged out so much during filming that it interfered with his performance and visually how he looked on screen so i'd be interested to maybe check that out sometime and just see if by comparison uh he looks terrible or acts poorly right but yeah i mean it's interesting there's also an interesting um parallel between so Leonardo DiCaprio, they came to fame. I think Leo was a little bit younger, so his was a little bit later, like in the mid '90s. But there was there was this whole thing in the '90s and early 2000s where young actors who were famous like really wanted to reject that fame. But it like everyone was following them around. Paparazzi were following them around, constantly being written about. And now there's so much exposure with celebrities like they all have multiple social media accounts they hawk fab fit fun and <laughs> like flat wink tummy tea. and flat tummy tea and it's almost now it's the opposite i think people say, are hungry now yes much yeah. more hungry and like there is so much more opportunity for exposure and everybody takes it right and i think that being a young actor and saying, you know, you cannot have your cake and eat it too when it comes to celebrity. Like, you cannot star in major films and then not expect to be followed. That's how it works. And I think that not everybody thinks about that. Also, not everybody, the majority of people do not make it in show business, do not even, like, get recognized. And that's why now the market is just, like, flooded with so many people to watch and follow. And For sure. You know, so I think that... You have to think about if River was still alive today or he, like, started his career in today's, like, social media whirlwind, like, what it would be like, what he would be like. He would definitely have a really annoying Instagram account about (laughs) being vegan, (laughs) about about cleanses. He'd be be naked in PETA ads. Oh, my God. A hundred percent. He'd be like, oh, I don't want to see that old phoenix naked. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Yeah, I mean, but also, gosh, I never really thought about how hard it must have been to be a very popular celebrity back then because I feel like today the pool is, like, wider and mm-hmm. the, and therefore more shallow. Mm-hmm. So, like, you have these reality stars. Mm-hmm. You have social media stars. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like it's easier to fly under the radar as just being a really good actor. Right. To, in today's day and age. Right. That is definitely true. Yeah, that's the point I was trying to make. 
Well, <laughs> that's why we're both here. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, uh, River Phoenix once said uh, he's not trying to overstay his welcome on life. So we're not trying to overstay our welcome either. So we'll nope. talk to you next time. Thanks for listening. Want to let us know what you think about River Phoenix, this podcast, or let us know which celebrity death you can't get over? Email your feedback to hollyweirdpodcast at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at hollyweirdpodcast to get clues about future episodes and photos that go along with the stories. Liz, we got an email. Listener mail. Um, so Adrian, she doesn't say where she's from, but that's okay. She says... Hi, Liz and Megan. I really enjoyed your Aliyah episode, as I was and still am a huge fan of her music. When you were talking about celebrities paying homage to her or still remembering her in their art, you didn't mention this past Halloween when Kim Kardashian dressed up as her. Some found it really distasteful. What's your take? Thanks, and looking forward to more episodes, Adrian. Oh, thank you, Adrian, first of all. Um, I forgot about that. I know, I totally forgot about that, too. But it is distasteful, in my opinion. Why? Because it's, like, blackface. Well, some, I think. Well, but she didn't, she didn't darken her skin tone. Um, I think that's really running the, like, what's it called? <laughs> running the line, yeah. walking the line. Yeah. To reference a Joaquin Phoenix film. <laughs> um like between dressing up as somebody of a different race when you are even though kim kardashian is part armenian she is still identifies as white yeah i think that's a that's a little i mean i think beyond that was kind of what it what it was the race thing that i think most people have yeah their, and also she's dead with. yeah but like one time i was marilyn monroe for halloween is that distasteful because she's dead but she died like 40 years ago so the the pain is still fresh and real for some people. So And then also that Kim Kardashian is part of that world. Like she is married to a very famous rapper. Yeah. Kanye has done many projects with Jay Z. Jay Z was close to Aaliyah. Like that's, that's if true. Aaliyah were alive today, she'd be in that circle. That'd be like me dressing up as your dead grandpa for Halloween. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> too close to it's home. Too close. <laughs> it's a little too close to home. I mean I think she just wanted to wear that silver bikini top. Yeah. Yeah. And like... <sighs> I think it's unnecessary because of the freshness of the tragedy. Even, I mean, and the whole, like, she was a black woman, you're a white woman dressing up as a black woman thing. But even beyond that, I think it's just distasteful because of the recent nature and the nature in which she passed away. Yeah. Definitely. So, not cool. Yeah, we agree. Not cool. Thanks, Adrian. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hollyweird. Follow us on Twitter at HollyweirdPod to stay current with show updates. And join us next time when we try not to go overboard discussing the unsolved mystery of the death of a Hollywood actress. This podcast hit it.